0: Please bring your Josh Susser up to complete temperature before beginning the podcast.
1: This podcast is sponsored by New Relic. To track and optimize your application's performance, go to rubyrogues.com slash new relic. Hosting and bandwidth provided by the Blue Box Group. Check them out at bluebox.net hey everybody and welcome to episode 62 of the ruby rogues podcast this week on our panel we have david brady oh my gosh are we still doing this yeah we have josh (laughs) susser (laughs) wow flashbacks we also have avdi Grimm. hello from pennsylvania james edward gray
2: i feel compelled to point
1: out nobody
3: has
2: funded me for a hundred million dollars of anything (laughs) i'm charles
1: maxwood from devchat.tv and this week we have a guest and that is Joe Ruscio, did I say that right? Uh, Close, yeah, Ruscio. Ruscio, okay. Yep. It looks Italian and so my brain just kicked over to that pronunciation.
4: Yeah, it's six letters but three syllables, phenomes, packs a lot in this short space.
1: (laughs) Kind of like you. Yep. (laughs) All right. Um, Well, you want to introduce yourself for people who are new to who you are?
4: Yeah, yeah. Um, So I'm uh, the CTO of a company called Labrato, and we, we do monitoring. That's our thing, measure everything. Uh, I'm also organized the San Francisco Metrics Meetup. Um, we meet once a month, talk about metrics monitoring stuff. Uh, and I've been a Rubyist for about, uh, I guess, it's like three years now, which I think makes me a relative noob here, but um, I enjoy it.
2: <laughs> so, so a metrics meetup—that's like everybody comes with a ruler. Or...
4: <laughs> no, a meter stick.
1: We're I'm not, not, yeah, we're not standard y- at all. Yardsticks not
4: allowed.
2: Gotcha. Uh, take those that's Burmese awesome.
1: units
0: and
4: get out. There's really,
2: like, a so, like, tell me what you guys typically discuss there. That's cool.
4: Uh, yeah, so we've done, um, we actually have our, our third one is tonight. Um, and so basically what we do is we just get people together to talk generally on, on a couple topics. Uh, usually it's either some tooling someone has put together, like some open source project like uh, we've had um, from D3.js, Mike Bostock came and talked about horizon charts. I think Cubism.js is a library he gave a talk on. Um, and one of my colleagues did a talk on active support notifications. Uh, and then we'll also have people come in and talk about um, how they do monitoring in practice. So uh, Mark Granifan from Heroku came in and talked about how they do monitoring. Um, Aaron Quint from Paperless Post, a- AQ is gonna be there tonight talking about what what those guys do. Um, so it's a really broad purview. I mean, anything from uh, in practice to implementation details of, you know, visualization, collection, storage, uh, aggregation, analysis, anything to do with measuring. And also uh, we had a talk actually on doing tracking business drivers from the guys at uh, atlassian like how they track uh, unique visitors to their site oh, like really cool stuff like connecting saying oh this guy signed up with his gmail address and then this company signed up for an account and we can put together that um you know the it was the same person right that's uh, awesome so, yeah cool
1: well,
5: well, the, yeah. well that's kind of interesting I, I i should put that on my calendar for something to go to i can't go to tonight but uh but maybe next month.
4: Yeah, the response has been really positive. I mean, we've got a couple hundred people on the meetup list already and, and, uh, the, you know, the meetups have been full. So I think, I mean, the biggest thing I think is just, uh, keep finding people with interesting stuff to talk about, but I think we should be able to do that.
5: Well, well, are you measuring, uh, like the, the <laughs> metrics of attendance versus topics?
4: <sighs> so uh, so <laughs> I don't know if other meetup organizers, or if you've ever been, if you've ever signed up to one of these meetups, particularly in San Francisco, um, you know, it's, it's interesting because, you'll have you know order 100 however many people sign up to come and and there's some percentage that just don't show up i think there's a set of people who just like sign up for all of them on the chance they want to go um but that's the one thing meetup there's not a good way actually to connect um who signed up and who actually attended uh <laughs> oh, yeah well so, other than having someone at the door like taking names right uh,
5: so if you sign up and then don't show up three times in a row, you're out.
4: <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, that's the kind of thing as an organizer, you'd like some, you know, you, you, you can't do that. But in, in your ideal world, you're, you're, you know, you're like, oh, other people aren't coming because of you. Um, so I think what you otherwise do is you just say there's enough room for like, you know, some heuristics, say twice as many people as you can actually fit and figure that'll be about right
5: yeah, yeah I'll, I'll let you in on a secret that's what happens with the ruby meetup
4: <laughs> they, <laughs> right. they, yep.
5: they always allow more more seats than the actual capacity
4: yeah that's what we've been doing and it's been working pretty well southwest airlines does the same thing but <laughs>
0: <laughs> have, you, have you ever had to bump somebody to like a later ruby meetup
4: <laughs> like people outside on standby. Uh, uh actually yes <laughs> you just have to to make that next meetup free when you do that yeah right
2: right.
0: upgrade them to first class and put
2: them in a hotel in the meantime yeah Yeah. so joe earlier you said um in your introduction you said uh, measure everything that's our thing so can you talk about that why Uh, Yeah,
4: so um, usually usually when I talk about, you know, monitoring, um, I like to say, you know, I think monitoring is new again. So if you've been even semi paying attention kind of the space the last, I think, two years or so, you know, there's really been this kind of new zeitgeist around monitoring. Um, And I started looking uh, to, to see like why is that, right? So why, you know, people have been doing server monitoring for, for decades, right? So what's the big deal now? Um, and so if you look at the, the, their companies, I feel, who are really kind of pushing the, the bleeding edge, like Etsy for sure. I mean, John Allspaw and his crew there have been doing amazing stuff. Um, GitHub, uh, you know, what, what do these guys have in common? And the one thing that kept coming back was um, continuous deployment. Um, and so I think what's interesting is if you look at continuous deployment, there's there's kind of like five things you really need to do it um like continuous integration one click deploy uh feature flagging um but then the next two pieces the next the last two you need monitoring and alerting um and that's really because uh your biggest risk is a change boundary right like if you're thinking about operationally speaking um the biggest the time where you have the most risk for things going wrong is when you introduce change boundaries kind of like changing code right uh and that's why you need unit tests uh, for your code um so when you're in the old model of oh well, we ship once a month right you know we we throw the code over the defense to the ops team once a month they deploy it you know you have these very easy to to see change boundaries and you don't need a lot but when you're shipping multiple times a day like continuous deploying the guys at etsy talk about shipping They average every time they give a talk they'd say what their current average ship rate is and it's usually in the 20 to 30s occasionally high as 50 times a day they ship the site um so change is constant, right? And if you don't have monitoring, you you, you know you basically are flying blind at that point. Um,
2: so the reason you're saying you need the monitoring and alerting and stuff is that you know you may ship that feature, something goes wrong, you need some kind of feedback on that, and then you would use, like you said, feature flags to flag that feature back off or something. Right.
4: Yeah. Yeah. The thing you do is you you ship the code out in production, so you 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 know you decouple actually deploying the code with. Um, deploying the feature feature flagging ideally. Right. Um, so then you flag it on you, you watch your graphs and your dashboards um, and you're looking for one or two things. if it's a performance improvement, you know you're looking for your your graphs to go down um, you know the right way or if it's if it's not performance specific, you're looking at least for your primary indicators not to change. Um,
5: well, it, it seems like there's like the, the fundamental stuff you want to be monitoring all the time. But, in terms of the continuous deployment, are there uh, strategies for like particular things that you want to monitor relative to certain features that you're pushing out? You're just talking about like performance type things. Are there other kinds of strategies for you know, particular things you want to monitor relative well, to features I
4: think there's generally at least always two levels right I mean you're always gonna have your your kind of your most important uh, statistics so those you know your business drivers um, and also your 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 app performance right or your your how your site feels so like you know response latency that kind of thing um, so you want to make sure none of that shifts but then given to it ideally with a new feature you know part of specking the feature you know just like writing tests, unit tests, um, should be understanding, okay, what, what should I be looking for? What should I be monitoring when this feature goes out, right? Um, and generally, like, wh- where are the risks that performance could degrade? Like, you know, what what particular actions or routes? Um, and also, you know, a good thing even just to monitor is like how often people are using a new feature. I mean, a lot of times, so in our, our app and API, for instance, when we, you know, add some new API call, you know, part of what we do is we instrument, you know, how many times that, you know, that call or that action is actually used so you can see if you know because anytime you decide to implement a feature you're kind of hypothesizing that oh my customers will find use in this um so you should be measuring are, are people actually using it after you push it out
2: that's a good point you mm-hmm. talked earlier about um you, you, you said monitoring and warning. So you're, you're calling those two different things. Can you talk about the difference? Yeah,
4: monitoring and alerting. Uh, so the interesting thing, so monitoring is, and, and, you know, in that sense, at least when I say that, what I mean is uh, monitoring is the, okay, I, I'm, I know that I am introducing a change boundary right now. Like I'm hitting get push to Heroku or I'm, I'm doing a Capistrano deploy or whatever. Um, so I'm going to look at all my dashboards and, and verify for the next couple of minutes that everything went all right. Um, and a good example of this, even though this wasn't a change boundary uh, we introduced was the leap second, uh, like last, last weekend, I think I'm still kind of having problematic stress about it. Uh, <laughs> that was something that, you know, you know, is coming. So, uh, you know, we, we, um, basically had our boards up and and a lot of people had their boards up, basically watching, waiting for the leap second to hit and see what happened. Um, And there's a, a lot of stuff went bad. (laughs) Is what happened. I've, I've got some interesting graphs. Um, where you can see, uh, you know, like JVMs and stuff going sideways, you know, on the dot uh, at um, right when the leap second hit. Hmm. Uh, so there's that. So when the, when the change boundaries come and you watch it. Uh, the problem is, though, it, going into the alerting is that, you know, there are these latent bugs, right? So there are bugs that um, aren't going to manifest themselves immediately, right? Um, and so what the alerting does, that's actually active. So your systems are watching, checking thresholds are the simplest one, right? Um, so something like watching for a disk to run out of space or, you know, running out of memory on a server are, are two simple ones. But also, you know, checking, we have a bunch of thresholds set around um, our API. You know, we're a very API-driven service, so we have a bunch of thresholds set around, you know, the API response latency. So we'll get, you know, pager duty alerts hooked up if our, our API response time goes over a certain amount. And that's often a great leading indicator that something's wrong somewhere.
2: So when you say boards, you mean like a dashboard kind of thing, like where you monitor? Uh... Yeah, yeah. Um, so dashboards
4: that's another thing i kind of like to elevate so there's there's monitoring and being able to you know look at graphs and i guess the other thing too is the important thing also is i think near real-time monitoring right so having basically as close to real-time feedback about your systems as you can as you can get um but dashboards i think deserve special mention because they're really a step forward so it's one thing to have and say okay well i can go and i can look up and I can I can go in my web browser and pull up a graph and look at it, right? Or I can get an alert. A dashboard's kind of more um, taking a building a shared understanding and sticking it up on a wall somewhere, right? Um, and I think what that's really important that is you can get your subject matter experts. So you can get your 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 best sysadmin ops guy who knows everything about the servers, and he can build a server dashboard, right? And he can say actually these are the ten most important things about a, a server, uh, and then when something goes wrong, you can just go look at that dashboard and maybe you don't even know what those 10 things are, but you can see one of the graphs has gone sideways and that gives you something to drill into. Um, And even just building shared understanding about the health of the business, uh, there's this term information radiator, uh, which I actually was, I actually, I guess came out of, I saw some quote from like Alistair Coburn like 10 years ago or something. So I guess it it came out of agile development um, where, uh, you know, your information radio has all your, your, your sprint stats on it. Um, But the same thing goes for operations. You know, your, your information radio should have the whole health of your service. So anyone walking by can see it up on a wall. Yeah. yeah, Have you been in the square office? I have. Yeah. They're everywhere. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I just, I just had lunch there
5: the other day and it's just amazing. You can't look in any direction without seeing a big monitor up on the wall telling you something about how their systems are doing it's pretty impressive
4: like that's awesome. that um there's no more sophisticated uh, aberration detection mechanism than your marketing guy with a cup of coffee staring at a tv on a wall
2: <laughs> that's awesome <laughs> it's you awesome
4: anything about computers or your, your service but I've had this happen where you know I'll be sitting with my back, you know, hacking on my computer, and our marketing guy will go, uh, Joe, "Joe, what's what,
2: what's that? Why did that graph just do that? Why are the the lights flashing? What what does this mean?
5: <laughs> <laughs> Is this red light bad?" <laughs>
0: Can you not hear the klaxon? So actually, Joe, that, that leads me to one of the questions that I had for you about monitoring, which is that uh, I worked at a shop that we, we really did have that guy, only it was it was a CEO who had kind of like OCD about uh, like flow through the site. They're like how many, it, it was a lead gen site. So there was like lead flow. And it was like the number of people coming in, the number of conversions, number of, you know, lead flow out, etc. And first of all, when I first got there, we didn't have a really strong test suite. And so uh, the, the unit test suite was that Chandler would come up and come upstairs and say, hey, guys, the server's down. Um, so it was, a, it was a real professional triumph to actually know that the server was down before he showed up. Um, but then he had these kind of like soft metrics. He would come up and he would say, "Guys, there's something wrong with the server," and we'd we'd go look and we're like, "No, server's up, everything's fine." And he's like, "No, we haven't had any leads in seven minutes," and we're like, "Is that wrong?" And he's like, "This time of day, we should be getting twenty leads a minute."
2: Yeah, and, I actually I actually worked on a project one time where it was a, a kind of a cultivated database kind of thing. And I mean, there were, you know, uh, probably in the early days, 150,000 uh, entries in this database. And I would seriously get emails sometimes and they would be like, something's wrong. I can't find these three guys. You know, it's like, and, and they just had a finger on it that well that they knew when, when people were missing for whatever mm-hmm. reason. You know, no mm-hmm. matter how
0: small, it was,
2: it's strange.
0: Yeah. So there's, like, this expert system, right, that's, it's, well, okay, well, in this case, it's actually an expert and no system. Um, so how do you monitor for that kind of stuff, Joe?
4: Uh, so, I mean, I, th- I think the question is, well, I think one thing you need to do when, you, when you've got kind of a human, when you have someone like that that turns into a reliable indicator, I mean, it's having a system in place that it's easy to add new metrics to. Uh, mm-hmm. so the other things I like to talk to people about is that the most important thing to do is to drive the cost of metric collection as close to zero as possible, right? Um, that's awesome, yeah. Yeah, and so, I mean, that's... It, what's really cool, what's going on right now is, is um, you know, there are systems like uh, you know, Graphite and uh, Open, OpenTSDB, uh, and then services like, you know, the one I run, Librato, um, where we're kind of focused on decoupling the act of collection, from um, storing, uh, analyzing, visualizing all the data, right? And the reason, and I think historically systems, because people didn't have anything, they, um, I'm getting off a little bit of a tangent here, but they, uh, you know, they would say, oh, collect this data, they'd write an agent, and then they'd say, oh, well, I need to store it somewhere, and they'd grab RRD tool and put it on a server, and then they'd say, oh, well, I need to visualize it, and then they'd write some, you know, little web server front end to it. Uh, and you end up with this vertically integrated solution, and then the next guy to collect a different piece of data does the same Right. And you end up with these, these, you can't correlate data across them. Um, like once you get data, collect time series data, right? So you should ideally have a, a common repository or store that you can just push all your time series data to do your visualization analysis, alerting all that. And, um, then collection is just like, oh, how hard is it to, you know, put a little instrument in my code and just ship the data off to wherever it goes. Um, and I think that's a new paradigm that's springing up, and it's cool because now um, all the people, like the actual coders who just want to instrument the code, all they have to do is write tiny little libraries. And like in Ruby, they're springing up all over the place. There's uh, stuff like Active Support notifications and Rails, uh, which is awesome. Um, uh, Metrics with a K is uh, a library Eric Lindbald's doing, uh, which is really neat. Um, so I think going going uh, is when you find that that expert, who, you know, whatever he's coming up with, you should just try and capture that in a metric, uh, and then the other. I think you were asking was, what if he's wrong, right?
0: Well, no, I was just uh, mostly. I was just asking, like, how do you capture the really, really hard stuff that requires an expert? And it sounds like your answer is um, may, uh, instead of instead of worrying directly about the hard stuff, focus on making the easy stuff go away. Uh, yeah, definitely that.
1: Okay. Well, it also sounded like uh, he was saying too that. Uh, if you can collect all the little pieces you, they may have a sense of the overall system without actually seeing all the little parts that go into what they're yeah what yep. they're kind of getting and so they kind of intuitively see um, these these trends and can pick them up and so if you can figure out what those little pieces are that that give them their feel then then you can start to quantify when when things are going bad
0: i mean
4: it's going to be just you have to iterate with them and kind of like surf you know, it's like almost like five whys. Well, why do you feel that? And then where are you getting that data from? Um, mm-hmm. and break it down and you have all those little pieces of data in a common repository, then it's really easy to build you know, correlations. Correlations are incredibly important, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you can say, okay, this is my leading indicator. You know, response latency has gone to the roof. Let me just start iterating through the things that could be causing that and see which of it correlates to it. Mm-hmm.
2: I liked, I liked what you said about you know trying to reduce the collection of metrics to as close to zero as possible you know if you're able to get that data then then it's encouraging to do so and then you know if it's decoupled from how you look at that data then maybe it turns out that three data points you didn't even really know were related can can be the answer to the question you're you're looking for yeah.
4: You know, I think a, a big part of what's going on right now is shifting the onus of implementing monitoring and metrics, um, you know, from operations over to dev. I mean, or even you talk about DevOps, like I don't know how familiar you guys are with that term. Um, you can do a whole show on that. But uh, yeah, is is if it's super easy for a programmer as he's writing, I mean, you can literally say, okay, when you write this code, in addition to writing tests, you have to write metrics and it doesn't ship without tests or metrics, right? Mm-hmm.
2: That's an interesting idea so I, I, I've
5: seen that done in uh, like writing performance tests that go along with with your features and yeah. and rails actually has some support for that in the framework although I've never gotten that stuff to work very well uh, but I, I like the idea of putting that stuff into real-time monitoring as well as just development time
4: right. Tours. Yeah, well, I mean, and I think it's hugely important, uh, I mean, you know, the lean startup stuff. But one of the things that I really liked about the lean startup stuff is, you know, going back and saying when you when you actually choose to build a feature, you know, that costs time and money. You should validate that you actually got what you thought out of it, right? Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, there's been so many times when, you know, I've worked so hard on a feature and put it out there and then, you know, realize six months later, oh, there's no way anybody ever used this because it never worked, <laughs> you know?
1: Well, you can get you can get value out of every other line. You just put a logger there.
5: <laughs> nice. Yeah. So, so, Joe, have you seen people doing uh, sort of monitoring for uh, what? What do they call it, innovation accounting metrics? The, I don't know how familiar with the lean startup stuff you are. The but, uh, I I would like to call for
0: a definition.
4: Yeah. <laughs>
5: <laughs> so in, so innovation accounting is Eric Ries' term for. Uh, paying attention to the metrics that actually affect oh, the business, yeah. <laughs> rather than the vanity metrics like the number of, of uniques that I had on my site, because oh, great, you know, I can get you know a gajillion uniques a day, but they don't actually mean anything. They don't they don't correlate with anything in my uh, you know how how quickly I'm earning money or generating customers. All right.
4: So. Yeah, so those are, I, is, is a very, I agree with that. And one, like one of the most important things I think that comes out of, uh, that's a lean analysis. And what he wrote about that is like cohort analysis,
5: mm-hmm.
4: which is a yeah. powerful thing where in, instead of yeah, just monitoring uniques, um, you actually track, you know, your users based on when they signed up, um, and, and we've seen that and, and definitely we've been doing that in ours, you know, and, you know, the people who signed up very early in our service lifetime when things are a lot more polished, you know, their lifetime behavior is much different than people who have signed up more recently, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so you can surface trends like, oh, my churn is plummeting much better than if you were just looking at all oh, my global churn for the life of the service. Um, When you do that, is that actually,
5: does that have an effect in the data collection phase of things or is it more in just the the reporting side of things?
4: Uh, I think it's more in the reporting side of things. I mean, so one thing, so, you know, those kind of metrics, they're, Pretty interesting. Uh, and so, I mean, we like, for instance, we we use a service to track that kind of stuff. There's a couple, um, you know, we use Kissmetrics. Uh, there's also a, a new one called Tatango, which is pretty interesting. Um, and I think Mixpanel probably has some support for that kind of stuff. Um, so th- those kind of things are interesting because you can, you know, just put the little JavaScript on your page and, and it records all the different events and then you can start to build things in the reporting phase. Um, you could definitely do that yourself still if you wanted to, um, but you have to be able to track the things back to a user and when that user joined your service, you know, cause you have to be able to put them in a cohort, right? Mm-hmm.
3: So I'm, let's say I'm bootstrapping some, you know, little service. Um, are you? The, well, <laughs> yes.
5: <laughs> <laughs> let's um, say it.
3: <laughs> I'm just bootstrapping a little service. Uh, but I don't know. I, I, I mean, I think a lot of people are in this, this position. I mean, there, there's so much, so much involved with that. You know, if you're, if you're bootstrapping, if it's just like you in your spare time, um and you know and there's no there there's no funding or you know and and you only have like part time for it um monitoring you know and metrics feels like this whole other realm that you know—it's like I've got all this—you know—I've got—I've got marketing to worry about. I've got getting the features out to worry about. I've got um, my site design to worry about. All these things, and and then there's there's metrics, which is like this whole other realm. And and I'm I, well, I guess I'm I'm curious about like getting over that hump. But we've talked about that a little bit, just like how how it's 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 easier now. I'm also curious just about like at what point, like where is that threshold where I say, okay, I need to care about this now because you know at some level at some early level you really you know you really do just need to f- focus on getting that minimum viable product out and 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 not on like tweaking like you know tweaking it so that like you know just the right shade of blue gets a few more conversions um where is that where where do you say ah okay it's time to start thinking about collecting metrics so that i can i can tweak things a bit more
4: yeah that's a good question so I mean, I mean there's a couple things one is uh, I, I thought was interesting. Um, There was this Hacker News thread about a month or two ago where someone was talking about, oh, you have to have dashboards. And and a lot of the comments devolved into this, like, oh, well you know, that's just a luxury item and, and you can only afford to have those when you're a big team and you have all this manpower. And there's this perception that, um, you know, it's this huge hurdle to get over to have good metrics and, and visual feedback. Um, well, that's that's my
3: percep- perception. And it's not even just like the setup of like, you know, getting the dashboard set up. It's also just um, like, I know that, you know, I feel like I would have to devote a lot of time and thought to figuring out what to track, and that's is, like you know a time that I can't
0: afford. Is it just me, or does it feel like it's 2005 and we're talking about unit testing? Yeah. I'm serious. I'm i not trying to kick obvious the, tires here. I because I don't have good metrics either. But I really feel like this is the Joe's comment about making you know making metric collection the difficulty to go to zero. It really sounds like what we're trying to do here is is hammer these patterns into people's brains to the point that two years three years from now we're going to see people coming out saying you know the very first thing you should do is set up your ci server or your you know continuous deployment and then go write your first spec and then you know so that you're
4: i don't know now i'm putting words in i I,
3: anyway I, i interrupted you um talking about like where that threshold is so i'm sorry about that
4: Yeah, we're going to the point about um, um, unit tests in 2005. So, I mean, I'm I'm not unbiased, but I I absolutely believe that that's going to be the case, right? That within the next couple of years, we're going to get to the point where people are going to be flabbergasted if you're shipping code with no insight into what's going on, right? Um, And so while I I won't say that, oh, the very first line of code you should write should be an instrumentation statement. Um, I think that threshold ideally should be really low. Um, and if you go back and you know, talk about Eric, you know, you, if you talk to Eric Rees, I think you know that's kind of what he hammers on that in that book is if you're not measuring, you can't validate your hypotheses, right? Yeah, let me
2: let me interrupt there for just a second because I have this friend who has this uh, T-shirt that I love, uh, and I always flash to this T-shirt whenever we talk about this. But it's um, uh, you can't brag about it until you measure it. Nice, But it's true. Right. I mean, you know, you can say, well, I did this. You did what? You know, if you don't have any numbers, if you can't prove that what you did had some kind of an effect. Right. Then so what?
4: You know. Uh, you know, the the one I like is the um, kind of one of those lines is it's it's not in production until it's monitored and graphed. Right. Right. That's awesome. well,
5: I, and, and I like I like I like what John Allspot says. He says, if you don't have a plan to fix it, there's no point watching it.
2: Yeah. Right. <laughs>
5: yeah. It's like, why would you ever have your pager go off at three in the morning if you didn't have a plan to correct the thing
0: that you were alerted about? Right. So all you can do is go that. back to bed. <laughs> I've worked at that company, and my job was to lie awake worrying. (laughs) I only paid you well for that. (laughs) Pretty much, not enough. Not enough.
2: I mean, like some, you know, I I think it's important to mention that, you know, so the the barrier for collecting metrics has gone way down. You know, and I mean, before we even get to like Lebron or something, I mean, how hard is it to throw the, you know, Google Analytics JavaScript in your page? You know what I mean? Which would at least give you some insight to visitors, which pages they're doing, how people are finding you, right? I mean, Absolutely. It, I mean, you
4: know, when you're doing your MVP, it's probably just those, you know, what I call like business level metrics It's probably the only thing you need to care about, right? You know, just throw your site up on Heroku or whatever. Don't worry about ops and just just worry about, am am I getting anybody here? What are they doing? Um, And then you can, I still, I wouldn't put the performance stuff off too far because, you know, basically there's a ton of research that shows um, how snappy your site feels is very important to conversions and stuff, but...
5: Okay, so, so I think a lot of, of Rails developers, the first thing we do for monitoring is New Relic. Absolutely, yep. Because it, it's super easy to get it going, it's supported all over the place, and you get a pretty good level of data collection, and it's it's relatively real-time. I mean, it's not instantaneous, but you get results within minutes. So, yep. So at what point do you need to
4: start caring about more than that? Yeah, so I think I think New Relic, right? I mean, one of the reasons I think, uh, you know, the Ruby community is, is maybe more in tune um, with the need to do this and, and the movement is, you know, Def as New Relic came out and kind of focused there first. Um, so where I think where you need to go past that, um, and I don't want to speak too out of turn about their service, but where I'm going past that, right, is um, where you get to the point where, you want to start doing more custom stuff to your application um, because the, the, the thing with a solution like uh, like that is you know you install it and it's to get going it's nothing um, but you're basically playing in their sandbox then right so you're coloring between their lines and you know the visualizations and and dashboards and stuff you have are the ones that what they think matches your data. Um, and so I think where you see people maybe augmenting that um, with uh, other stuff is, is when they say, well, I have all these custom metrics just that only my app cares about, like the number of these widgets moving through this queue, right? And then I also want to correlate that against, um, you know, this business level driver, like the number of people signing up, right? Um, and so, when you want to start pulling all kinds of custom metrics from different layers of your stack, I think that's where you need to add in a solution where you can just push in whatever data you want and build arbitrary correlations and dashboards after the fact.
5: That, yeah. That's that's an ambitious thing. I've seen a couple companies try and do that, and a co- and mostly they're not around anymore. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, I mean, I, I'm not, I'm not. Spelling doom for you guys, but it's just, I think it's, uh, it, until recently, it hasn't been something that you could, that there was a lot of attention on.
4: Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely think awareness is growing and, <clears throat> and we're trying to raise that. Um, but I think <clears throat> part of it too is, I think what a lot of companies have tried to do before who maybe have failed is they, they wanted to support, but they still tried to go through an agent-based approach right? Where they said, oh, here's our agent, you install it on your servers, it'll collect some stats, and then you can dump in all these little plugins that will add custom stats. Um, but you know, right, while that's useful for something, writing a plugin and putting a new file in a directory somewhere on a server is expensive. Um, a lot of stuff i mean i just want to i just want to actually time this six lines this ruby block right i just want to see what this ruby block costs i don't want to write a, a plug-in and somehow track that over um and so i think you want to look for what's going to be successful i think and this is the approach we're taking is decoupling that at the level of, a, of an api so the the fun integration point to our service and some other open source uh solutions that do the same thing is you if you can write full you can get data into our system right
2: so yeah, tell us what that. I mean, what? How does that change? Change, for example, compared to the agent with the plugin. Well,
4: so you can do. Um, for example, using uh, you know active support notification. Um, so Rails. You know, it's one thing if any Rails people listening to this take away, they should they should check that out. Um, but what active notifications does is it adds all this instrumentation of Rails out of the box, right? And in your code, you can just hook up uh, what they call like subscribers to that. Um, for instance, um, you know, in, when you're in dev mode, all the logging output you see now from Rails actually all comes from active support notifications. So they're just subscribing to those notifications, dumping them out to implement the, the logger there. Um, and so we cut that. If you can hook into that and then grab the timings, and then you have the ability to just dump that over some API. Uh, so HTTP or uh, even UDP. I mean, we haven't even talked about, um. that amazing project we should talk about, come out of Etsy, you know, that uses UDP. Uh, but if you have to just say, hey, I'm just going to grab this timing and I'm just going to dump it over the network to somewhere, to an endpoint, right? That, and then that makes that instrumentation cost in your code um, get very close to zero because you just have a library that you, you just add one line of code somewhere and boom, I've got a new metric, right? So.
2: And then, and then uh, using like your service, Labrato, then you expose that metric in various ways and allow us to relate that to other metrics, et cetera, right? A, a service like,
4: all you have to do is get the data to us, and then the rest is, you know, point and click. Oh, I want to build this correlation. Oh, I want to build this dashboard. Um, and it's a service, so, you know, uh, you're only paying for what you use going back to the funding. Um, so you don't have a lot of, you know, it's, it's like anything, like using Heroku for your hosting, Right you can make something an operational expense instead of a capital expense.
2: That's a good point. Hmm.
5: The, okay, so is there any, uh, let's, let's talk about the stack a bit. You've, you've mentioned the, the stack a couple times, and it, are there any things to be concerned about or to, or any particular ways to approach it that make a lot more sense?
4: You mean monitoring your application stack, or do you yeah.
5: mean well? Okay, so, so you know, I'm say I'm running a Rails application on a server. I have, you know, I have all the Ruby code that's running. There's, you know, all the stuff that sits, uh, you know, between that and the internet. Yep. and and you know, I, I probably care about how those things are operating as well. I, I remember um, in 2009, Goguruko, Nick Callan gave a talk about. Um, about logging and trying to uh, keep track of correlation between a user's activity and a log on, like, you know, here's your Apache log versus your Rails log, and you need to have some sort of unique ID that ties all those things together. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Twitter now has this uh, snowflake library uh, open source project that generates unique IDs quickly right and that's I think that's related to that that they need to be able to have these unique IDs and track users across all their different layers of their stack uh, yep. did it, is that particularly challenging for to set something like that up or is that as long as you have the pieces it's easy to drop in
4: I think as long as you have the pieces, um, I mean, again, as long as you have something, you know, whether it's, you know, something like our service, Labrador, or you've set up something like Graphite or OpenTSDB uh, on premise, as long as you've got a central place, you can push data. focuses on the collection. Uh, logs are good. Um, we haven't mentioned that yet. But another important thing, your logs are an incredibly rich source of, uh, of, of monitoring data, right? And uh, uh, the guys, the team at Heroku is, have, have definitely been pushing this. Um, but I think it's you're thinking of your logs as opposed to files as event streams, right? Um, and one of the most important things I think you can do with logs is picking things that are important. So you can actually filter your logs as they come and and track counts of right? And so this is a very common pattern. So like um, there's um lot two or two open source projects, you can do something like this. There's, um, you know, Paper Trail uh, is a, a service that you can point your logs to. But they also have some fashion of, hey, here's a search, right? Here's a, a red for like, uh, you know, HTTP 400, right? So I want to count the number of 400 uh, errors my API is getting. Um, and the log processor will match every log line for that and then report a count like every minute, right? So now you've got some, you've got a metric that you've derived out of your logs that you can correlate against other things. Um, and, and a real world example of that going back to the leap second, uh, when we were watching our board, uh, the one thing that kind of, uh, because we, we had turned off time, <laughs> I didn't trust, we had turned off the, the time updates on all our machines about an hour prior to that. Um, uh, we were still watching and the number of failed API requests coming in from customers like shot through the roof, like our little graph about 400 errors went crazy. So we had to dig in and figure out what was going on. Um, which is then where you actually go into your logs, uh, and it turned out it's just one of our customers who had, you know, their app had gone haywire and just started throwing malformed requests at us. And dates are
2: still awesome.
4: Incredible to me. Uh, yeah, again, not wanting to go on a tangent, but that whole episode, uh, because basically anyone running a JVM, you know, their their life went upside down. Um, and there's no set schedule for those things. That's the most amazing part. You know, some, some guy or committee just every once in a while says, yeah, time for another leap second. Um, you can actually subscribe for email notification. <laughs>
5: That's right. That's awesome.
4: Would you like to be part of our newsletter from CERN?
2: (laughs) (laughs) Today we discovered the Higgs boson and we've decided to add another leap second.
0: (laughs) That's right. This second will have mass. (laughs) Jeez. All it, it was like three uh, nerds out there are laughing hysterically. Uh, <laughs> y- you wish. Yes. Yeah, okay. Yeah. All right.
5: Uh, okay. So, Joe, it, in terms of in terms of monitoring and instrumentation, all that is there is there anything else to think about when you're uh, you know sort of crafting your deployment, setting up your servers?
4: Uh, one thing I would recommend, um, that we do this in practice, but I, I just mentioned earlier, there's this project called StatsD, um, which the team at Etsy had done. And I, I think it's 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 really important and useful because um, the one thing that is tricky, you know, when, when we build web, app, web apps, right? You know, we're, we're primarily interested in the request response cycle, which ideally is order, you know, the hundred seconds, right? Um, so if you want to do something at the request level, uh, the raw data stream you're getting is like 50 millisecond resolution. And even worse, if you're spreading across obviously multiple servers handling requests simultaneously right um and that's way too dense for a human to make sense of um so what do you do with that and there's this concept of aggregation where you have a point that you take all the per request measurements and merge them into a more human consumable form like okay well what was the number of these requests that happen in this minute um <clears throat> And the other tricky thing is you actually need to take that measurement without actually impacting the performance of the request response.
2: Yeah, that's tricky sometimes. Really tricky, Uh, yeah.
5: Professor Heisenberg
4: says that's impossible. (laughs) That's
2: right. (laughs) Yeah, you don't want to get, but there's a
4: cat involved, but uh, yeah. uh, So... (laughs) But what um, what StatsD is is this little uh, Node.js daemon or daemon. Um, well, no, it is daemon that uh, sits somewhere and listens on a UDP port. And so there's this UDP wire protocol that you can stuff in a UDP packet uh, a key value pair and a timestamp, um, and then you can just send this UDP packet to the StatsD daemon. Um, and because so UDP, because there's no connection setup or anything, the the only price you pay is the uh, the memory copy from user space into the kernel buffer, right? So your cost on your request is almost nothing. Um, Um, then that packet shipped off. Uh, And then the StatsD daemon aggregates all these packets. um, And, you know, whatever you set it to, it can once a minute, then, you know, it can digest them and push out a single, you know, per minute measurement uh, up to wherever you're storing your data. Um, And so we actually deploy on our front end instances. We have a chef recipe set up. Like that's just, we have StatsD, a little daemon running on every instance. So anything on that box, whether it's our Rails app, uh, we have Nginx has a plugin to talk to it. Um, They can just all dump data over the loop back to, the local one and then he can push it up into you know our service where we we track all the measurements um sounds a a little bit like d-trace uh yeah there's definitely some parallels there. Um, but I think that's a very useful, uh, you know, tool because <clears throat> it gets you from the per request level to the, you know, per minute level. And it does interesting things too. Like it, it, it um, for timings, it tracks percentiles. So you can configure the percentiles and that's really important too. Like averages um, averages suck uh, <laughs> is a short way to put it. But, you know, being able to divvy up and say, okay, well, 90% of my requests finish in this much time and Seventy-five percent of my requests finish in this much time. Uh, you surface your outliers right a, a lot, a lot more obviously. Yeah.
1: So I, I have a question. I'm wondering, um, and this is more of a general question, but but what are the top mistakes that you see people making with their monitoring?
4: Oh, that's a good question. Um, well, one of the things I'll see is uh, they'll definitely, <clears throat> you see where they'll dive in and, and and write something where they say, oh, well, I'll just slap this on um, literally, uh, you know, this controller action that's per user by some other dimension, by some other dimension, right? So we'll see in our service, for instance, someone will sign up for a trial, um, and then all of a sudden they have something like 40,000, 50,000 metrics pouring in <laughs> um, with very, very low number and then i think they come into you know they start looking around and they're like oh my goodness right so it's it's i think you want to spend a little bit of time and actually say okay a a little bit of planning ahead of time and say okay what are the what are the business drivers i actually care about what are the performance indicators i actually care about and make sure you start with a tractable set of things and then drill in where you need to right if there's something strange going on and you don't understand it that's an indication you need to drill in more um but that's definitely one you know not 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 doing the math and saying oh if I I measure this dimension by this dimension, by this dimension, um, what, what are the, what's the, you know, what is, what's the multiplicative product of all those? Um, right. uh, and then, uh, what we were just talking about, another thing is, um, you know, trying to, uh, you know, people will come in and, and, will want to post a measurement, you know, out of a single request response, which, you know, again, you don't want to do, you know, they'll want to connect in and say, oh, well, I'll, I'll just send this directly to wherever on every request response, and that adds a ton of latency. Um, so that's another bad one.
1: So you just want a reasonable sampling? Is that what you're saying?
4: Yeah, well, you, you want a reasonable sampling, uh, and you want to pay attention to what performance impact your instrumentation will have. Right.
1: Okay. Well, I think we're about to the point where we need to get to the picks.
4: Um, Actually, I
0: have
1: I have one more quick question.
0: I hope it's a quick question. Um, all the all the cool kids these days are building JavaScript heavy apps with uh, really lightweight backends. Um, does it make sense to do monitoring at the JavaScript level or do you mostly just like monitor your APIs and let the JavaScript kind of evolve its own stuff for later?
4: Uh, no, it definitely makes sense to do monitoring at the JavaScript level. Um, and uh, so, uh, Ilya <coughs> uh, Rigoric, I think is how it's uh-huh. pronounced. Right. Um, doing a, a lot of cool presentations on, uh, you know, the Chrome team has been building in all of these, uh, um, timings data, right? Where you can actually, yeah. uh, I don't mess with that too much, it's something we're getting into, but you can actually get an amazing wealth of data uh, from the browser, breaking down, um, you know, your JavaScript, you know, between the fetch time, resolving DNS for different assets, uh, you know, where all the time is being spent in the browser, and that is, is super important. That's something we as a community actually need to get a lot better about, and I just mm-hmm. think the t- even the collection tooling is still limited there. Yeah.
2: And also, any metrics you uh, collect in JavaScript can have a very low impact on your application, right? Yeah.
0: As long as you're not pushing your stat bundles to your web server, right?
2: (laughs) Right.
1: (laughs) Why would that be a problem? I don't know. All right. Well, let's get to the picks. Um, We'll make Josh go first. Well, thank you very much. You're welcome.
5: <laughs> As someone whose last name is towards the end of the alphabet, I was always used to being at the end of the
1: line in school. So Yeah, tell me about <laughs> it. <laughs>
5: yeah.
2: We work, oh, back. right. yeah. we work
1: yeah. backwards here. <laughs> yeah. We're, 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 we're all a little backwards here.
2: Okay, <laughs> okay.
5: so um, so uh, being a little backwards, uh, let's see. The um, if, if, if you haven't gone and seen The Avengers, you should, uh, but that's not my pick. Um, it, even though it's a, like the best movie seen all year, <laughs> it was great. Uh, so, th- so you, you got to stay through the credits at the end, and then you see this, you know, evil smiling face gloating over the, you know, o- over the closing credits or something. Um, and uh, if you're not a real Marvel comics junkie, you probably didn't recognize that that character was Thanos, one of the Eternals of Titan. And uh, but he's a, a major Marvel badass. And uh, but not many people know about him. So uh, I picked up a copy of a a graphic novel uh, of the Silver Surfer called "The Rebirth of Thanos" because I wanted to uh, catch up on on uh, some of Thanos' history in preparation for the movie, which is coming out in only what two or three years or something. So I got to get reading now. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, but this was a great read. I hadn't read most of these stories before, and uh and and the great thing is that there's like you know three or four other graphic novels following it that need to that you need I need to read now too but but that, it's a good read and um and uh you know I like the old silver surfer stuff silver surfer um uh, so it's it's a uh, it's a lot of fun to read so that's that one uh, the rebirth of thanos and then I have uh since we were doing a, a episode on monitoring which is kind of like measuring um, but in real time, I have a pick for a, a little widget called Free Ruler, and this is something I started using a couple years ago. It's uh, the version of it is uh, you know don't don't be scared when you download it because the version is 1.7b5, and the last time it was updated was in 2007, um, and it's made with real basic. But <laughs> all that aside, <laughs> all that aside, it's an incredibly handy tool. It runs on the Mac, and you run this program, and it puts up a horizontal and vertical ruler that you can set in uh, terms of various resolutions. I like to run it in pixels. And then you just move the cursor around on the screen, and it tells you what the measurements are. So uh, it's really great when I'm doing UI work, and I'm trying to get my layouts to, to look right so I I like that it's just it's very handy. So free rule that had
2: every old mention except Hypercard. You needed to work Hypercard in there. So. Oh wow!
5: Yeah, I, I really should have really should have tried to figure out some way. to maybe the, maybe he's like there's a documentation stack written in Hypercard. Er, er, er. <laughs> so okay and then uh, I'll just take the opportunity to plug uh, my conference Golden Gate Ruby conference registration is open we're announcing speakers right now we have a couple really good speakers we've announced and more will be announced later this week so by the time you heard this podcast uh, there may still be some spaces available don't dawdle we always sell out and then I get requests at the last minute saying are there more tickets <laughs> and I have to say no they
2: have speakers with great hair
5: yes yes and in fact avdi is going to be uh, one of our speakers which is very exciting for me right on Woo! awesome Woo-hoo! looking forward to it yes have you been to san francisco before never oh man okay well, we'll, we'll have you gotta to, show me around yeah we'll, we'll set something up after the conference <laughs> not before <laughs> okay. okay so i'm done next
1: awesome um david what are your picks all right. I always say I'm going to be quick with
0: my picks and then I take forever. So I'm going to do one pick and it's going to be quick. And that is uh, whatif.xkcd.com. Um yes. Randall, Monroe, Randall Monroe has just started uh, a weekly column where people kind of send him in questions and say, what if? And he comes up with, uh, you know, uh physics or statistical uh answers so like the current one is uh what if everyone who took the sat guessed on every multiple choice question how many perfect scores there would there be and he gives you the statistical likelihood of and it comes out to some number of how many heat deaths of the universe you would need to ever get all the answers right on the sat um just by chance (laughs) wow um and uh,
2: the first one was like, What happens if you throw a pitch at ninety percent the speed of of light? Right. Yeah. Yes. And it basically ends up in like an, almost an atomic bomb like explosion. It's, no, if
0: if flat out is and it like yeah, well it, yeah it's I guess it's not in it. Well, it is a, it, it is it is a fission reaction. Yeah, fission. It's crazy. And, and the thing is, is it's a full article explaining with with little XKDs, like you know his little pen in the the, the, the engineering notebook style cartoon style, he draws and explains why there would be a nuclear explosion. And, uh, so yeah, what if, what dash if.xkc.com, there's only two episodes up, so it's a real quick read right now. Um, but they're, they're funny and they're really intelligent and they're lots of fun. And that's my pick.
1: Awesome. James, what are your picks?
2: Uh, I had two simple ones. Um, first of all, uh, just a cool, uh, monitoring related pick, um, if you haven't ever checked it out, do check out Scout. Um, as far as like uh, rails monitoring goes, it's uh, one of my favorites, super easy to get set up. Uh, full disclosure, I did work on Scout uh, at a couple of points in the past, so I'm a little bit biased there, but, um, but uh, it's run by the nicest guys in the world, and uh, it's really like stupid easy monitoring. It isn't perfect for everything. It is what we were talking about earlier, kind of the agent uh, with the plugins and stuff, which excels at some things and and not at others. Um, so, uh, but but it is really easy to get set up with and and super great. So uh, check that out. And then for fun stuff, um, I I found this uh, project on uh, Kickstarter uh, thanks to Peter Cooper. Uh, following him on twitter and it's it's called the ouya and it's basically this open platform console uh, hardware is open software's open it's based on android you can build your own games in your bedroom while not wearing pants you know i mean everything you want I out of a dead. console i know so it's <laughs> like amazing right so i just think this is one of the coolest kickstarter projects i've seen and in a while for gaming geeks like me, and you got to check it out. So that's it. Scout and Ouya. Those are my picks.
1: Pantsless driven development, huh?
2: Absolutely. I could right.
1: develop how I podcast.
0: <laughs> TMI, Dave. <laughs> that's my life. All
1: right, Avdi, what are your picks?
3: Uh, well, let's see. In the spirit of monitoring, uh, I have a uh, just a, a, an analytics service that I've been using for a while now that I really, really love. It's called Clicky. It's getclicky.com. And back when I was I first started thinking about monitoring like web analytics um, as I was starting to to sell some products and stuff, uh, I started getting into the Google Analytics stuff and was just completely overwhelmed and realized that you know it would basically it's it's like this whole other area of expertise that i'm pretty sure there are books on like mastering google analytics Mm -hmm. and um and it was just like i don't want to become an expert in this and i ran across clicky and it was just like a billion times simpler and exposed all of the interesting information that i actually cared about uh in in ways that were so much simpler than uh than google analytics and and they were real time long before google analytics went went real time um, which which real time seemed like a gimmick to me at the time. I was like, I was re- more interested in just the fact that it was simple to use, and, and the JavaScript was simpler. But uh, it turns out that real time is actually pretty cool because uh, if you change some kind of analytics configuration, y- you want to get some immediate feedback that you didn't screw it up, um, and, and that enabled me to just immediately see, you know, okay, yeah, I configured it correctly. I'm seeing the uh, I'm seeing the information come in that uh, that I expect to see. So, um, getclicky.com. Uh, get uh, really love them. Um,
1: yeah, so, I, I, I use them too, and I, I have to second that. It also makes it, yeah, uh, you can get like selective links that you can share with specific people. And uh, I mean, there, there are just a million different things you can do with it that are just really, really nice. And it's easy yeah. to read and see what's going on.
3: Yeah, there's a million things you can do, but it's <laughs> it's just so much simpler. I mean, it, even just like the JavaScript that you put in the pages, there's none of the, the customization of the JavaScript that you'd have to do with Google. It's, it's yeah. great um so um uh and it's you know it's for those of us in the northern hemisphere it's uh it's the hot season and uh so i thought it's been a while since i did a booze pick so my booze pick today is uh bell's oberon ale it's a an american wheat ale and just a wonderful uh refreshing summer beer just make sure to get it good and cold um and uh, finally a a little plug for my own stuff Um, i recently decided to spend a lot more of my time focusing on my own projects one of those which has been kind of on the back burner for a long time is is my stab at a screencasting uh subscription service and which which is called uh ruby tapas um basically little little uh bites and tidbits of of intermediate to advanced ruby knowledge Uh, in screencast form and uh, if that sounds interesting to you please head over to rubytapas.com and uh, and sign up for the for the mailing list Uh, that'll let me know that you know that people are interested in in checking in having that developed into a real thing Um, so um, I think that's it for me
1: awesome all right well I'll go next Um, I've got a couple of picks uh the this last week was the fourth of july and while i was driving down to my in-laws house um i got about as far as you can get from civilization if you're driving between spanish fork utah and price utah this is big long canyon um and that's about where my car broke down so, uh, oh so um and and broke down yeah i'm an did, idiot did you break down by thistle <clears throat> um almost okay yeah sheep creek if you know where that is um yep. anyway so you were up sheep creek that's right yeah, there's a gas station there and an RV park, and both of them are closed. So uh, at least I could get off the road. But I had my uh, 10-month-old and my 3-year-old with me. And so that, that was even more fun. I had my laptop, so I just put a movie on for my 3-year-old and then let my 10-month-old crawl all over the steering wheel. Anyway, um, yeah, it helps if you uh, keep the oil levels up where they're supposed to be in the car. It was totally my fault that it broke. But I spent the last four days with my father-in-law putting a new engine in the car. Oh Yeah. Anyway, while we were doing that, he listens to talk radio all day, and uh, <laughs> which, which in some ways isn't too different from me listening to podcasts all day, except the stuff I listen to is typically more interesting than what he listens to. But uh, one of the programs he listens to is the Rush Limbaugh show. And Rush kind of bothers me a little bit, but he had this guy filling in for him named Walter E. Williams, who's just this brilliant economist, and he was talking about the economy and... Most of what he was talking about really made sense, really kind of resonated with, you know, with uh, things. And he could explain it in a way that you could actually make a logical, you could follow a logical um, progression to get to where he was talking. And so uh, that's my first pick is Walter E. Williams. I've looked at some of his stuff and I think he's just brilliant. Um, Incidentally, he also has a, a proclamation of amnesty and pardon granted to all persons of European descent. Um, he's black. He's African-American. And uh, basically, he has this pardon for people of um, European descent for anything that they or their ancestors may have ever done to him or his ancestors, um, just so that people will not act like damn fools, is what he says in their relationship with that Americans of African ancestry. And so, in other words, um, you know, you, you can talk to them like normal people without worrying about whether or not you're crossing some racial boundary which i thought was just funny so what am i supposed to do with all this white guilt <laughs> you've been Thanks pardoned a lot williams you, you've, you've got a pardon you don't need yeah. to worry about it anymore
5: uh, well that, that's great we're now in post-racial podcasting
1: yeah <laughs> anyway it, it, i thought it was interesting anyway so um walter e williams is my uh my first pick And I'll put a link up to his blog. Um, My second pick is um, Eric Davis sent me his uh, monitor mounting arm. I sent him a little bit of money for it, but um, it's an Ergotron mounting monitor arm. And uh, so you mount your monitor up and then you can just move it around. It kind of floats in the air. Um, and honestly, I love it. I actually ordered another cheaper m- mounting arm from my other monitor, and it's just so nice. It it kind of cleaned up my desk. I feel like I have a whole lot more space there, and I can push these monitors around to wherever I need them. So um, since we were speaking about monitoring, I thought... Can I, you can you raise them up and down? Um, yes. it It's a little more involved because I actually have to move the... There's a bar and there's a little collar there that I can tighten and loosen with oh, an okay. Allen wrench, but I can move them up and down that way. Um, but so,
0: but the, the so it's the the hinges are are vertically oriented, so you can move move the monitor in a horizontal plane easily.
1: Yes, um, the Ergotron monitor I can actually move up and down because it out has a horizontally mounted hinge, so oh. I I can move it up and down and right and left. But mm-hmm. the other one's a little cheaper, so I actually have to move that one up in the back. But okay, I've got them where about where I want them, so I'm not too worried about it. So, yeah.
5: Uh, uh. Okay, Chuck. So we're doing an episode on monitoring. Your pick was a monitor stand. Yeah. <laughs> it's, okay. So uh-huh. I have another. I have another pick. It's for this lizard called the monitor. It's, a, uh-huh. it's, it's the largest
1: lizard around. I was trying to be a little tongue in cheek. Thank you for pointing <laughs> that nice, out.
5: Nice.
1: I also well, would
0: have accepted true. Josh. I also would have accepted an alerting stand. Okay.
2: <laughs> my my pick is a CRT monitor. It's this huge. Oh, never mind.
1: It's like a TV, like the old kind.
2: Yeah, I guess that's over.
1: Huh? That's, never mind. Yeah
5: I, yeah, I got I got this plasma display thing. It uses these vector graphics. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I really want to get a CRT monitor and then put wood paneling on the site. Just just so that it's way retro, right? Oh, awesome.
0: <laughs> Very steampunk. <laughs> back, from, back in the days when portable meant it had a handle on it. That's right. Did anybody ever have one of those 300-pound no, 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 televisions? Wheels. Wheels. Wheel. wheels. Well, no, I, I had a had like a 200-pound television and it had a handle on the top of it, so it was oh, considered yeah. portable.
4: <laughs> oh, there you go. Should, should we let Joe make some picks? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> go ahead, Joe. All right. Um, so, fun pick... Um, Kind of in the same vein as Josh, uh, I saw Amazing Spider-Man uh, this weekend. Um, yes, was it amazing? <laughs> you know, it was good, and I, I actually want to bring this up because I saw uh, DHH um, just tearing it down the other day. And well, you know, there was a couple of groan-inducing plot points, which I, I don't think they can make a, a superhero a superhero movie without, I guess, appealing to the lowest common denominator to some extent. Um, but I felt, as a, uh, a Marvel nut from way back when. Um, I felt captured uh, the whole Spider-Man thing better than the, the Tobey Maguire movies. Um, totally totally agree with you there. Yeah, I'm Cool. cool.
1: I, I haven't seen it, but I, I I don't think they could... I don't think the bar set very high if you want to do better than Tobey Maguire movies.
4: Exactly. Um, so I think just without, it doesn't spoil anything, but there's actually web shooters, mechanical devices again, uh, which is nice. And then um, I just felt like the... Uh, I, Andrew Garfield, I think, is the actor, just um, did a much better job of capturing Spider-Man's kind of right on the balance between being a, 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 a wise guy and, and, and without being obnoxious, right? Mm-hmm. So,
1: so wait a minute. He gets bit by a radioactive and he, spider and he grows mechanical web shooters?
2: <laughs> <laughs> no, he builds his own, Chuck oh Is it, he's a genius <laughs> yeah i read those comics i i deserve my geek points
5: yeah I, it, yeah joe i did like that they went with gwen stacy instead of
4: instead of mj yeah i i um uh so yeah so i, I would definitely especially if you're a spider-man geek or you used to be uh, it's definitely worth seeing um, and then, uh, uh, pick for us, uh, uh, a service real quick. Um, we've been starting to experiment with this this new service called Customer.io, uh, and it's kind of cool because um, their goal is to automate the email engagement lifecycle. Right, where you you know you want to try and keep your users engaged or drive engagement by sending them these automated emails um, periodically. Uh, so you know they reach some uh, new, <clears throat> you know they they start using some new feature in your service they haven't been using before, and you can detect that and have an email sent that says, Hey, saw you're doing this. Um, you know, you should, uh, look at these docs, right. Something like that. Um, which I think typically you'd have to build into your app yourself, like both tracking the events and then, you know, kicking the emails off when they, uh, when they happen. Um, so we've just started using that, but it looks pretty promising. Um, and then for a book, uh, probably the, the, the tech book that I've been getting the most use out of lately, uh, is called third party JavaScript. Um, it's being written. Uh, there's been an early access ebook available for I think I, I think I've had it for like six months or something at least. Um, but it's written by a couple of the guys at Discus, um, and so and they have you know JavaScript running on on almost any popular blog or, or places where you can put comments. Um, but it delves in all the details about like how you can defensively package your JavaScript and and um, all the all these little things you you wouldn't necessarily think of. Um, and so it's really useful to me because. You know, for our service, we've been basically building a, a JavaScript SDK that people can use to, um, you know, embed graphs on their sites and that kind of thing. Um, so third-party JavaScript I'll, I'll pull a link up for that.
1: All right, is that all your picks?
2: I think so. That's pretty, yeah, that's pretty good, right? Yep. Yeah, absolutely. So we talked about how awesome Avengers is and how awesome Spider-Man is. I guess we're not going to mention Prometheus, right? <laughs>
5: Well, I haven't seen it yet, so I have nothing to say.
2: Uh, it, it's got very entertaining science in it.
4: Yeah. Oh, cool.
2: The only
4: thing, uh, oh my gosh, if you're if you're interested in more Thanos stuff, I remember um, the Infinity Gauntlet was like a six issue crossover series. I I collected at the time. Thanos. Yeah, that, yeah, that's
5: definitely a, a like comes after the rebirth of Thanos stuff. Yeah, it was like the late '90s, I think, it came out. Yeah, I love all that old Jim Starlin stuff.
1: All right. No, go ahead. You can keep talking if you want. Oh, if, you,
5: <laughs> if you have those, uh, we we could do a we could do a loan swap sometime.
1: All right. Sure. Well, um, let's go ahead and wrap this up. A uh, few announcements. First off, we are reading "Growing Object-Oriented Software Guided by Tests." Um, we have confirmed it's going to be the twenty-second of August. I believe that we'll be talking to the authors.
2: Um, yes, procrastination pays off again.
0: Right on. <laughs> now, the last time I was on the show, I mentioned to everybody that we had not forgotten about the, the Ruby uh, Golf or the Rogues Golf contest. Ben, uh, you forgot I'm, about it. I'm upgrading that to we actually forgot about it. And uh, I'm promising to our listeners to get after the rest of the hosts on the show uh, sometime this week or next to uh, talk about those uh, maybe offline and we'll... We'll make some arbitrary
1: picks on which ones we liked and why, and we'll, we'll pick some winners. Yeah, we, we did run headlong into a holiday, so... We did. It's kind of hard. But anyway, yeah, we'll, we'll take care of that, and we'll, we'll get the winner on the show and give them their book and all that good stuff. Yep. Um, other than that, uh, you can find us in iTunes. Uh, feel free to leave us a review. Really, really appreciate that. We, we have quite a few reviews, and uh, we're always happy to get more. Um, you can also leave comments on this episode on the blog. That's rubyrogues rubyrogues dot com, and uh, sign up for Ruby Rogues Parlay at rubyrogues dot com slash parlay, and that's it. Thanks.
2: Hi Bye. Bye, everybody. Thanks, guys.
1: See ya.